Ephesians chapter 5. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from the heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. It's uh, wonderful to be with you again today as we continue thinking about the nature and work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Recently, I was having a conversation with a friend, and they were quite excited. They joined a new church, and as we were talking, they explained to me that this church uh, was a terrific church because it was a spirit-filled church. And so I, I was curious. So I said, what, what do you mean when you say it's a spirit-filled church? And they gave me an answer, which I won't relate to you at this point in time. Uh, but it, I'd be interested to know what you think a spirit-filled church is. Okay, so what we're going to do, this is a bit unusual, we don't do it often. I'm going to get you to talk to the person next to you and ask them whether they think this is a spirit-filled church. Okay, now let me put in a few provisos here. If you're a... Uh, uh, a newcomer to our church, you'll find it a difficult thing to uh, answer that question. You might want to just sort of neutralise the question, what is a spirit-filled church, rather than is this a spirit-filled church? That question's for regulars. The other thing is, some people just loathe the thought of having to talk to anyone at church like this. Uh, we're trying to beat that out of you. I don't really mean that. But you know, like we're trying to encourage you to actually keep connecting with each other. But uh, I understand that some, for some people this is a, an uncomfortable social activity. If that's you, feel free to have a discussion about whether the Crows are going to win today or anything else you choose. That's absolutely fine. My goal is not to make you feel uncomfortable my goal is to get us thinking about some of these issues, okay? So here's the question. Is this a spirit-filled church? Or the other thing I should say, you're not going to have to call out your answers, okay? So <laughs> your, your anonymity will be preserved apart from the person you talk to, all right? So is this a spirit-filled church? I'll give you a minute to jump into it, okay? Go for it. We just heard read Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, but instead be filled with the Spirit. So it's the only time in the New Testament where believers are commanded to be filled with the Spirit. Only time that it actually occurs. It's a command. That is, it doesn't, it's not an optional sort of thing. You can't have a spirit-filled churches that are charismatic and Pentecostal, and then Bible-teaching churches that are evangelical. You understand? That is, you, you're required to be a spirit-filled church. Not only that, I think it also applies to Christians. That is, you're meant to be able to say, you are a spirit-filled believer. Every church needs to be spirit-filled, or it's actually not a church. Every Christian needs to be spirit-filled, or they're actually not a believer. Now, when I express it that way, you can see this is quite a threatening area that we're exploring. Uh, because if you can't identify as a spirit-filled believer, then there's a real threat over where you sit in your relationship with God. 
And the same thing as a church. If you can't identify this as a spirit-filled church, that'd be a good reason for not being here and for going somewhere else. They're big issues. So I'm going to pray. God will help us as we wrestle with his word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you you teach us about relationship with you, the implications of life in this world, and the implications of life for eternity. And we pray that you and your kindness will help us wrestle with these tough issues, understand them, and actually to encourage one another in them. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. There's an outline on the leaflet. You might find that helpful. It's quite, quite detailed. I'll give you an idea where we're heading. What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? Uh, now, if you talk to a range of people who uh, own the name of Christ, you would discover that different people would come up with different answers to that question, what it means to be filled with the Spirit. Is it talking about speaking in tongues? Now, I raise that because this has been something that's been incredibly uh, topical for decades in Christian circles. Is being filled with the Spirit... Uh, equivalent to speaking in tongues or is that the sign that you are filled with the spirit most people go back to the book of acts and i want to do that just briefly as we think through uh, the book of acts and ask that question Uh, in the book of acts uh, we're in acts chapter 2 the disciples have gathered together jesus has promised the gift of the holy spirit and so they're waiting in jerusalem for that to happen and in chapter 2 verse 4 we read this All of them, that is the disciples, gathered together. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues. So in Ephesians, when it talks about being filled with the Spirit, is it talking about this, this sort of event and activity that occurs? Let me just uh, run through a few thoughts on this, just to put that in perspective. As we work through Acts, when people are filled with the Spirit... They actually have a variety of experiences or outcomes that occur as a result of that. Okay, so one of them is speaking in tongues. So people are filled with the Spirit and speak in tongues in Acts chapter 2, verse 4, Acts chapter 10, verse 46, and Acts chapter 19, verse 7. And each is significant in its own context. But also there are people who are filled with the Spirit and speak the Word of God boldly. Uh, That happens to Peter in Acts chapter 4, verse 8. When he's arrested, he speaks the word of God boldly, and we're told it's because he's filled with the Spirit. In Acts 4.31, Peter is gathered with the disciples, and they're all filled with the Spirit, and they speak the word of God boldly. Later in the book of Acts, uh, Paul the Apostle is filled with the Spirit, and he receives his sight, but also he's commissioned uh, to take the gospel to the Gentiles. Uh, to the nations. You see that in Acts chapter 9, verse 17. Uh, Later in Acts, Paul the Apostle is filled with the Spirit and confronts Elymas, the magician, and rebukes him. That's Acts chapter 13, verse 9. Uh, Later on in Acts chapter 13, the disciples are filled with the Spirit and they're filled with joy as a result of that. Uh, Also, as you go through Acts, people are described as being not filled with the Spirit, but full of the Spirit. And often when that phrase occurs, it's talking about certain godly characteristics that people uh, possess. 
So, for example, in Acts chapter 6, there's a selection of deacons, those to serve in the church. In Acts 6 verse 3, we're told that they needed to be of good repute, full of the Spirit and wisdom. That is, the full of the Spirit and wisdom seem to be equated at this point. In Acts chapter 6 verse 5, Stephen is described as a man who is full of faith and the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 11 verse 24, Barnabas is described as being full of the Holy Spirit and faith. Some people in Acts are described as being filled with the Spirit, and then on occasion some of them speak in tongues. But can I say it's a relatively small group? It's certainly not everybody. Whereas by comparison, when you go to Ephesians chapter 5, the instruction is for all of us to be filled with the Spirit right? and the consequences that flow around that. The other thing to note back here in uh, Acts is filling with the Spirit is not a one-off experience. Uh, sometimes in the past, our churches uh, have talked about becoming a Christian by the Spirit and then a subsequent filling with the Spirit that led, say, to speaking in tongues. But I want you to notice here, for example, with the Apostle Peter, Acts chapter 2, he's filled with the Spirit and speaks in tongues. Acts chapter 4, verse 8, he's filled with the Spirit, speaks a word boldly. Acts chapter 4, verse 31, he's filled with the Spirit again and speaks a word boldly. Right? There's a repeated activity that occurs uh, with Peter with different sort of outcomes as well. The other thing is in Acts, um, there is a pouring out of the Holy Spirit for a particular purpose. Back in Acts chapter 1, Jesus has told the disciples they'll be empowered to witness to him. That's why he's sending the Spirit. They'll witness to him, that is Jesus, in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That's the reason for the pouring out of the Spirit. The other thing to note, too, as you go through Acts of the Apostles, uh, what you see is that when the people are filled with the Spirit, it's a totally sovereign act of God. That is, they're not um, doing something to enable that to occur. It's done to them by God. And at points, it's clearly unpredictable in the sense, not that God's unpredictable, don't get me wrong, but you couldn't have predicted reading it that these things are going to happen or that these events would lead to this outcome. Uh, that is, it's a work of God not something we do. Interesting, in Ephesians chapter 5, it's clear that we're commanded to be filled with the Spirit. It's a funny combination. That is, again, it's still God that does the filling. There's no question about that. Uh, that is, it's passive. It's done to us. And yet there's the instruction to be filled with the Spirit. Uh, that is, there seems to be an obligation on God's people to do something in conjunction with that. Dif different sorts of outcomes. Now, I've wandered through the book of Acts because it seems to me that that is uh, most frequently the place where Christians trip up. They see examples of things happening and the question they're asking, not a wrong question, is, is that experience the one we should be having? Um, we're never instructed that we should have that experience in Acts. Uh, 
Like we're often given illustrations of behaviours but not compelled to do them. Uh, Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. You should all sell your cars and buy donkeys. Not a natural outcoming. That is, when you read something in the Bible, you need to ask why it's there and therefore what the response should be as a result. It's an important principle when we come to read the Bible that we read um, the section of the Bible we're reading in its context, in its immediate context in its sentence, in its context in a particular chapter, in its context in a particular book. And then once you've done that, you start to think about comparing parts of the Bible with other parts of the Bible, some books with other books like that. What I'd like to do now, uh, having done sort of this excursus into Acts, is draw us back to Paul's letter to the Ephesians, and particularly to this statement in Acts chapter 5 about being filled with the Spirit, and just see if we can work out what it's saying in its context. Okay? So let's do that. Let me step back from Ephesians 5 just for a moment and say that this letter actually contains quite a lot of teaching about the Holy Spirit. If you go to uh, Acts chapter 1, it talks about being sealed with the Spirit. Acts 1 verses 13 and 14. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who was a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. Here we're talking about a conversion experience, that is, the Holy Spirit convincing us about what God's done for us and the Lord Jesus Christ at work in us to bring about repentance and faith and trust in Jesus. When you go to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 22, we're told that the Holy Spirit dwells in us. It's an ongoing dwelling of the Holy Spirit. When you go to chapter 3, verses 16 to 18, it speaks about the way the Holy Spirit strengthens us to grasp the love of Christ. Uh, we touched on that last week when we looked at Romans uh, chapter 8. See, what we're getting here in Ephesians is this sweep of the work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, seal with the Spirit, conversion, deepening our relationship with God, chapter 3, making us more like Christ. If you go to chapter 4, verses 1 to 3, it talks about the work of the Spirit uniting God's people in the truth of the gospel. When we come to Ephesians 5.18, uh, as is obvious, it sits in the second half of the chapter. From chapters 1 to 3, it constantly talks about what God has done for us in the Lord Jesus Christ, the way he has blessed us richly in the heavenly realms with every blessing in Christ. It's all about God's activity to us. Once you get to chapter 4, verse 1, there's a tipping point or a change of gear. Uh, chapter 4, verse 1 says, "'Live worthy of your calling.'" Remember Stephen and the other people describing how to walk? Okay, What we get is God's doing stuff to us, chapters 1 to 3. Chapters 4 to 6 are all about walking the Christian life in response to God's grace to us. The, the word you'll see translated regularly in Ephesians 4 and 5 for walking is living. Right? In our versions in front of you, that's, that's the way it's commonly. It means the same thing. It's a, a, a way of life. So chapter 1, it says, live worthy of your calling. Calling chapters 1 to 3, live worthy of that calling. In verse 17 of chapter 4, it says, no longer live or walk like the Gentiles or unbelievers do. Chapter 5, verse 2, live or walk a life of love. Chapter 5, verse 8, live or walk as children of light. 
chapter 5, verse 15. Be careful then how you live or walk. Do, do you get what... I know I'm laboring a point, but do you get what's happening here? These chapters, 4, 5 and 6, are all about putting the implications of the gospel into practice in our life together and in our lives individually. That's what we've been called to do. Then we come to this verse. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. A few things to note. One is it's an ongoing activity. It's not a one-off. See, in English you say be filled with the Holy Spirit. That might be something you do once or theoretically it could operate multiple times. English doesn't help you sort that out. In the Greek, for those who are technically minded and you don't need to remember this, but it's the present continuous tense. That is, it's actually a repeated activity. So literally it's go on being filled with the Holy Spirit. Now can I say that's really important? Um, If I was to say to you, I, Paul Harrington, I am a happy man, okay? I am a happy man. And you might then say to me, well, you know, what's the evidence of you being happy? And I'd say, well, 14 years ago, I went and saw a stand-up comedian and I had several belly laughs on that occasion. I haven't laughed since, but that's evidence that I'm a happy man. You would say to me, I don't think that convinces me you're a happy man, right? This one-off event that happened. It's the same sort of idea here that is you're to go on being filled with the Spirit, right, to continue throughout your life. That's what we've been told. And the thing is, you never finish it. Uh, If I was to say to you, uh, repeat the words of Jesus, love your neighbour as yourself, okay? Now, who feels like they've finished that one? (laughs) You don't, do you? You know, that's an instruction that continues. You know, if I said to you, Husbands out there, you know, love your wives. Right? You wouldn't say, oh, I've done that. Right? Not if you valued your wife, okay? Because, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, you know that that's something you keep on doing. It's the same thing happening here in Ephesians 5. You go on being filled with the Spirit, and you'll keep on going on being filled with the Spirit. Right? That sort of activity. It's a command for a church. Uh, one of our difficulties, again, with the English language is we're not good with you and you. That is, I could be saying, you know, Michael, I'd say, you should do such and such. But if I was talking to Michael and Julie, I could say, you should do such and such. But you don't know that I've just said two people, do you? Uh, but here in Ephesians 5... This is a pluralised thing. This is an instruction for people together and how they should function as God's people. Can I say it's also true for individual Christians? That is because we're part of the whole. It applies to us as well and we should, we should aspire to it in that way. Okay. Now, I know I've just done a whole stack of hack work with you uh, in thinking through some background and thinking about this passage. What I want to do now is talk to you about what it means to be spirit-filled. What is a spirit-filled church? What does it look like? That's the question I started you off with. 
If you've got the passage open in front of you, that'll be incredibly useful. It's uh, page 1668. A spirit-filled church is one where we live wisely. Okay, let me go back to chapter 5, verse 15. Be very careful then how you live or walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Uh, Back in chapter 4, verse 30, it talked about the way in which the Holy Spirit has sealed us for the day of redemption. People who are unwise, that is, who don't have the Holy Spirit and not filled with the Spirit in an ongoing way, they they live in this world with a closed world perspective. That is, joy and meaning are derived from what you can see, taste, touch and feel. Uh, It's all to do with possessions and experiences and degrees on the wall, homes and renovations and travel and cars in the garage and those sorts of experiences. But friends, those who are wise, they live with eternity imprinted on their hearts by the Holy Spirit and are reminded of that constantly. We live with the future shaping the present. Now this week, uh, I was reminded of that by other Christians numbers of times. Uh, On Monday, I wrote wrote an email to somebody because I knew that uh, their father had been diagnosed with inoperable cancer just a couple of weeks ago. And they had said that the father was probably not going to live for all that long. And they wrote back to me and let me know that their father had died actually on the Saturday. Father was a Christian. This man I was writing to was a Christian as well. Let me read to you what he wrote to me in the email. We've had good conversations with my dad about the Lord. And he has a deep assurance that Christ is his saviour. And while it's been a difficult time for me and for, for my siblings, it's been a wonderful time visiting and praying with and for Dad. This man's father, who's gone to be with the Lord, he was wise. This man who wrote to me, the grieving son, he is wise. Both filled with the Spirit, because they have convictions about the promises of God for all eternity. They're not closed world thinkers. They know that's the reality. Spirit-filled Christians are spiritual speakers. You pick that up in verse 19. It talks about speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Church is not just a me-God thing when we get together. It it is that. So sometimes, for example, um, we're extremely well served by our musicians, aren't we? They do a wonderful job. But also in the song song selections, sometimes we sing things that are very much prayers that we could offer individually to God or corporately to God. It's a very vertical thing. And then there are other songs we sing 
that are horizontal. We're stirring one another up with the truths of the gospel. See, both are activities that are spirit-filled sorts of activities. You can see uh, Michael's actually talked about how they go about selecting songs on the opening page of the leaflet today. It's really worth thinking about here. Michael and the team are very thoughtful in the way they go about it. Church, though, is more than just an individual experience. Otherwise, when COVID finished, we would have never come back to church. We just stayed home and live streamed. And let me just say, if you're home live streaming, I'm sure you have a very good reason for that. And uh, I'm not trying to have a go at you, but we miss you not being here, okay? So, but, but it's a, see, being filled with the Spirit's a collective activity where we meet together to stir one another up and to speak to one another. Sometimes I talk to people and they'll, they'll say to me, I didn't learn much at church today. And I'll say, you weren't supposed to. Uh, do, you, do you understand why? As we gather, we're reminded and we're reminding one another of the truths of the gospel. And as time goes on, there'll be less and less of those truths that are new here. And more and more, it's about being refreshed in those truths. And that means when we gather, it's so that we can speak these truths to each other and stir one another up. See, if you didn't get much out of church, I'm going to say, well, you, that was only a bit of the reason why you were here. You're here to speak the gospel to one another and encourage one another. I've been in a small group with um, some men for a number of years. I'm incredibly thankful uh, for these men because we gather together regularly for breakfast and to speak the truth of the gospel into each other's lives. The truth of the gospel uh, about marriage and to encourage one another in the way in which we care for our spouses. The truth of the gospel when we face uh, tragedy. Remember one of those men, his son dying of an overdose and the son, the son was in his 30s and just the heartache and grief. And we gathered around him just to encourage him in the gospel there are I think four or five wives that have uh, not been in this group are married to these men who faced life threatening illnesses in the last five years and we kept reminding one another of the eternal truths of the gospel in the face of that I remember one guy was going through the ringer at work he had the boss from hell and we counselled him not to put a letter bomb in his boss's letterbox. <laughs> not seriously, but, you know, like, actually, we, we tried to encourage him to actually be godly, even though he was suffering badly at this boss's hands. That's spirit-filled, because we're speaking the truth of the gospel into each other's lives. Talks about singing songs, verse 19, singing and making music from your heart, to the Lord, and I've already referred to that. goes on, always giving thanks to God, verse 20. Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We live in a society that is extraordinarily individualistic. Uh, people are on a, a quest for personal authenticity. It's about self-discovery and identity. But a mark of the Holy Spirit is actually having a God-centred view of life, constantly giving thanks to God for everything, 
Go back to Ephesians 1, read through Ephesians 1 verses 3 to 8 and look at the ways we've been blessed by God in Christ in the heavenly realms. Adoption, forgiveness, being called into the family now and forever. When it says uh, being thankful, it it says uh, for all circumstances. I, I suspect it's really in all circumstances. That is, um, if you had a week where, you know, Monday your cat died, Tuesday you got sacked from your job, Wednesday your house burnt down, Thursday you worked out that you were not insured, your insurance on your house had lapsed, that's not a great week, okay? Now, as a Christian, are you meant to go, praise the Lord, that is just wonderful, you know? I don't think that's what's going on. But what you can know in the midst of all that is happening is that God is faithful in all circumstances. He never leaves you, forsakes you, he never abandons you. The truths of your relationship with God are solid and firm in the midst of all that's going on around you. It talks about verse 21, uh, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. It's not the first thing you think of when you talk about being filled with the Spirit, is it? Submission. And yet, clearly, uh, it is. Christ didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Made himself nothing. Taking the form of servant. Even to death, death on a cross. Nothing self-grasping about that. We demonstrate that we're filled with the Spirit. As you read through Ephesians 5, when husbands lay down their lives for their wives, when children obey their parents, when fathers don't frustrate their kids, when wives honour and respect their husbands. Submission's the opposite of selfishness or greed or self-assertion or personal ambition. It's spirit-filled. It's an activity of the spirit. I started you off uh, asking the question whether this is a a spirit-filled church. Uh, I've been here a few years, and I want to say it is a spirit-filled church. And I'm reminded of that day by day by day by day, as I see the evidence of it in the lives of God's people. Uh, This week, I can think of a number of occasions where I was reminded of it. Uh, on, I think it was Tuesday, I received an email uh, from a friend and the title of the email was Thankfulness. And then what he did was, he talked about the ways in which he'd been, he'd been sitting down in a quiet place, reading his Bible, reflecting and praying. He said it was just a luxury that he did, didn't often get. And he was remembering the ways in which Uh, Over the years, God had so kindly brought me into his life uh, to care for him in a moment of grief, in a moment of uh, work, struggle in a situation of life declining in health, advice at different points where I just sat down and gave him time. Now, you may think this is a very self-serving illustration because I'm at the centre of it, (laughs) but understand that's not why I'm saying it. 
So this man was thankful to God for me and other people in his life who had ministered to him. And that thankfulness is a work of the Spirit. Here's the other thing, though. He didn't need to write to me. He could have just been thankful for me and left it at that. But, of course, why he wrote to me was not to blow up, you know, like inflate my ego or something like that. He wrote to me because he wanted to encourage me to keep pressing on in serving the Lord, to keep on being filled with the Spirit as I worked out the realities of the gospel in the lives of people around me. Is this a spiritual church? Uh, friends, I'm constantly reminded of the way in which people are prompted by the Spirit to walk worthy of the Lord in their relationships, in all sorts of contexts and situations. And here's the thing I want to encourage you in. Keep walking in the Spirit. You see, that's what we're called to do, to keep walking and serving and honouring and loving the Lord as we care for and serve one another and the Lord Jesus in this world. That's what it means to be filled with the Spirit. It's wonderfully rich, isn't it? Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that in your kindness uh, you give us your word. We thank you that in your kindness uh, you have sent your spirit to dwell in us, to seal us in relationship with you and to encourage us in our walk with you. Father, we pray we'll keep walking in the spirit, keep being filled with the spirit, uh, keep desiring to... uh, serve you in your world and to build up our brothers and sisters in Christ, uh, to sing songs of praise to you, thankfulness. Father, we pray that uh, the Spirit will just be evidenced in our life together and our life as individuals. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.